This is Audio QT, the podcast of QT Voices, the online magazine of the LGBTQ Studies Program at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you for listening to Audio QT. This is episode four. For the last decade or more, the migrant rights movement in the United States has been catalyzed by the artistic work of queer and trans and documented artist activists or artivists. Perhaps most visible among them is California-based multimedia artist Julio Salgado. Julio Salgado is the founder of Dreamers Adrift and the migrant storytelling manager for the Center for Cultural Power. His status as an undocumented queer artivist has fueled the contents of his visual art, which depict key individuals and moments of the DREAM Act and the migrant rights movement more broadly. Undocumented students, organizers, and allies across the country have used Salgado's artwork to call attention to the migrant rights movement. Some might say his work makes up the visual rhetoric of the movement itself. Salgado is the co-creator of the Disruptors Fellowship, an inaugural fellowship for emerging television writers of color who identify as trans and or non-binary, disabled, undocumented, and or formerly undocumented immigrants. His work has been displayed at places like the Oakland Museum, SFMOMA, and the Smithsonian. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Julio over the past several years, first in analyzing his iconic I Am Undocu queer posters in my first book, Queer Migration Politics, and more recently in commissioning him to do the art for the cover of my recent co-edited book with Ethne Louvade, Queer and Trans Migrations, Dynamics of Illegalization, Detention, and Deportation. It's one of those books where I say, please judge it by its cover. So Julio, welcome to Audio QT. Thank you, Karma. Thank you so much for having me. And I actually need to edit that part of my bio, the inaugural art. This year marks the second year that we have the Disruptors. The fact that we are able to do a second year of this fellowship which is for individuals who want to write for TV. It's a big deal. But Karma, it's always great to see you. The last time I saw you was, you know, last January. I know, when we could still be in real life. Well, yes, we could, you know, travel to gatherings and be together. Uh, You know, things are changing slowly. So I'm excited about what that looks like for, for, you know, things like this. But, you know, in the past year, Oh, that we've been doing like Zoom stuff. I, I actually like the fact that I can do stuff from home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very, it's a privilege to be able to do stuff uh, from home. But like, you know, I definitely do miss just going out and like, especially, you know, when you invited me in the past uh, to talk to students, like that's something that you can't, there's something, there's something about when you're talking to students and like feeling the energy, uh, you know, if you're saying something, whether it's funny or serious, like the reaction, you, you kind of, you know, I, I get the energy from that. And you can really do that on Zoom. <laughs> you really can't. I mean, it's like doing lectures that are webinars where you're basically just talking to your own face. Um, it's hard to get the energy up. Yeah. I mean, like I encourage whenever I'm doing Zoom stuff, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm like kind of derailing from Zoom. No, this is great. This is what happened. <laughs> but uh, I, what I encourage folks to do is, it's to, you know, of course, use the Zoom chat part where they yeah. can chat. But I asked the organizers, I'm like, please record the, you know, like get the, get, you know, if you can try to get me the student that said that, um, you know, uh, and engage them more, you know, can you like, involve, you know, tell me more about that question. It's kind of hard. I also ask people and I know people can be shy about it, but like, 
can you keep your your thing on so I could you know see yeah. reactions? Because yeah, a lot of the times people just turn out their 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 video, and I understand you know so fatigue, but you know it's it it's it really helps. Yeah, because uh, oh, you feel like you're just talking to yourself, and like, are they really paying attention? Yeah, <laughs> I I gotta give it to y'all. You know, people who work in schools and work with students. It was a new way of doing this. Yeah, it's been totally different. And I think some of it's been really interesting and innovative, but then some of it has been, you know, horrible. But like, what about for you? I mean, how has the pandemic time being in isolation stuff, how has that changed your artistic practice or what has it done to your art? The first couple of weeks, I was like, yes, I am going to draw every day and I am going to use all the technologies because, you know, a lot of my art, I do, you know, I use Instagram and, um, you know, Facebook to, you know, share my, my work. And so I felt that for, for me, it was, it, it was like, it was, it was, it, it just makes, you know, it was going to be easy, but after, you know, like three weeks of trying <laughs> to do IG lives and like do stuff on like, I, I wasn't meant for that, and and I definitely um, the the collaborations uh, I mentioned, you know, being able to present, uh, you know, in front of students, collaborate with other artists. You don't you don't have that, and we're a party crew, but it's we're a very like you know intentional party crew, cumbiaton. <laughs> that was like you know what I love about cumbiaton was a you know we got to party, but like. One of my favorite things to do is like I would be drawing in person, yeah. you know, like what that, that's one of my favorite things to do when I'm out and partying. Some some people will find it a little bit like, you know, why do you want to draw when you're, you know, but that is a good way to get free drinks, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but if you're, but if you're, you know, like one of the things that I like doing, you know, I could be up there was like drawing, you know, live drawing, you know, have people that come to our events walk away with a piece with it's just a, a piece right and so we tried doing that over you know soon but it, it wasn't the same and yeah. and i don't know like for me uh, the uh, you know whenever i get to draw and and be in space with people it's it's like this is me like you know thank you for coming right and and we couldn't like you literally like just the way that the nightlife completely you know so many gay bars closed so many spaces where a lot of us come together, uh, really suffer. And so um, the fact that people, you know, came around, you know, especially with Cumbiaton um, and they were joining every week when we're doing live events, it was great, but it, it just wasn't the same. And so um, that's the one part that I miss, upside the dancing, the live drawing. Also, yeah, like collaborations with other artists, uh, being able to go to a museum yeah. or go to a gallery. Like I, okay, so you know, like brag moment, but like also uh, it was like a sweet, you know, uh, what is it? A, a sweet and sour moment. I don't know how you would like to call it, but I was, I was part of this, you know, group show at the Smithsonian yeah, um, and it opened in the middle of a pandemic. And so it was like, it was this great moment, but not a lot of people got to see it. It's just reopened uh, last Friday. Oh. And so it's going to be open through August. And we actually had an opportunity to carefully, safely travel with my best friend and, you know, uh, Jesus Iniguez, who co-started, who uh, co-founded Dreamers Should Drift with me, we had a chance to go and, and you know, do a little short documentary and, uh, you know, about, Jesus was like, we have to go, we let's let's do it. And, and you know, we have the permission of the Smithsonian. And we actually had the the space for ourselves where, where the Print of the Revolution uh, is at. 
And it was great, but it felt weird. Like, there's, there's all this art and, like, just me and Jesus and, you know, the curators. Shout out uh, to Claudia Zapata and Carmen Ramos, who curated the, the show um, at the Smithsonian. And, and it was just, like, it was weird. Like, I'm like, this is supposed to be for people to come and see it. Uh, you know, art, you know, like, I, for me, the art that I make is to be accessible for folks. Yeah. You know, that's why I like to give it away, you know. And, and so it, it definitely... It's it's it was it was a weird moment for a lot of people, but also another thing, I will give it like a lot of artists did thrive, you know, like yeah. uh, there's some artists um, who really you know puts a lot of work out there, um, but there's other folks who really felt like all of a sudden like they have to produce, they have to produce, they have to produce, and so yeah. not everybody is you know every artist is different. For me, it was at first it was like I can do this every day. And then there was a funk. Yeah. And then when I got the opportunity to to go to DC and see the show, I came back very energized and, you know, making more stuff. I try to make at least once, twice a week, a couple of drawings at a time on my Instagram. Yeah. My work as a scholar, there's a lot of analogies to be made there where I too, I was like, I actually love being at home. I hate going to work. This is great. I got a book done early on, but uh, there was a lot of wasted time. But of course it wasn't. Not that we didn't know that this disparity, you know, existed, right? But, like, I was able to stay at home, work from home, yet my dad, who, right. you know, doesn't have DACA, still had to go to work. He actually lost because he got COVID, and so did my mom, and so did my sister. And the way that it affected him because of, you know, of him not having papers or insurance... It affected me completely different, you know, because I do have DACA now and, you know, I have different access. And so, like, it it, it within, you know, families with different, uh, um, you know, statuses, like, you, the, it was obvious, right? And, like, from a larger perspective of, like, who got to stay at home and who didn't, um, you know, that's why I felt really bad complaining about Zoom fatigue and all that stuff because I was just like, my dad is literally... You know, like he lost, he lost a job because he wasn't able to, you know, he lost hours. And so it was just, it it was, it was just a a hot mess of, of like, look, you know, the way that the way that the system is set up, it's, it's not fair. And this idea of like, oh, well, we're, everything's fine now. We're going back to normal. Yeah. That's not the reality. Like it, it, it never stopped being different for a lot of people, you know, during this pandemic. It's strange to long for a normal in which, People like your dad, your parents are working hard hours, hard long hours on hard jobs, paid too little, I suspect. Um, and that that is what actually as a society we're keening back to is a time when that still existed, uh, rather than using this time as an opportunity to think like, how could we make this better for all of us? Yeah. You know, another big shift that was for me was because my my family was affected directly like I had to like in the middle you know this pandemic find a place to move in with my family you know because I was like I'm doing okay let's I'll let me help out and so moving with my family again uh after like (laughs) 10 years uh you know we found a new place and and it was and even that search to find a place to live oh my god again you know like I have DACA, my family doesn't, you know, the credit check, the way that, that, you know, there was, 
you know, places that I wanted to, you know, get, but because they had to do a background on my mom and my dad and like, you know, they, they, I knew I was going to pay for something that they didn't exist, you know? And so it was, it was really tough. And so like, I think for me, that kept me like, it re-energized like shit, like, you know, and, and I, I, because because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blessed, booked, and you know, and and I hope that keeps going. Like I'm trying to tell my family, like, hey, like it's okay, like you know, I got you, like you know, and it's really tough for yeah. for them to to kind of be okay with that. But you know, it's 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 again this idea that they have to, you have to be producing, producing, especially with mi- migrants. Like you know, if you're not sweating for your meal, you know you need to think about your, you know, like it was just, it was just horrible, but I, you know, we're making it work and, and, you know, I'm, I'm very, um, it's, it's, you know, relearning boundaries with family and after, you know, you're living on your own, you know, it's, it's been, it's been quite interesting, but I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy, you know, like, it's just like one of those things where like, I, you don't realize how much you miss your family until you're like, oh, you know, yeah, cook meals. That was, that's my, I mean, you know, like, I'm like, I hate cooking. I worked in the food industry for so many years and like they ruined my, my wanting to cook. And so having, you know, living with mom is, it's, it's beautiful. And, and I feel bad sometimes because like that part of me, it's like, ah, you know, like, I don't want you to cook. And my mom was like, let me, I love cooking. So let me do it. So it's, it's, it's nice to be with family again. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, thinking politically about one of the things that I think is beautiful about your story that you just told is the very wonderful relationship you have with your family as a very out queer guy um, whose, you know, work is very out there, very politicized um, and very, very queer. Uh, <laughs> and you have this relationship with your parents. And I think like you think about mainstream discourses around Latinos around immigrant families and, and, you know, the assumption of homophobia. And I love that, like your relationship with your parents just really debunks that. Yeah. I'm about to be, you know, like I'm two years away from 40. So like we, like I'm from a generation that like grew up without, you know, that much access to the internet or Twitter. And so like, there's this new sort of generation where like, there's so much information and what I'm seeing online a lot of the times is this like disconnect between the information that we put out on social media and the information that we or that we that we share with our family that are not so much that might not be so much you know in in social media or if they're in social media like some of the things that they share is like uh actually let's talk about that but uh for me it, you know like yeah that that you know I'm not going to say that you know it was always perfect i, I don't think any and no family is, is perfect and and that's that's fine right like it's 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 part of what makes us human beings but I, one of the things that I, I always share is like, I was very lucky that a, when I came out, I was, I was in college and my dad was like, well, you know, that's your choice. And I accept you when I, when you hear that, you know, you're like, well, it wasn't a choice, but at least I didn't get kicked out. It was like a little window for me of like opportunity to be like, okay, well, let's, let me continue building on this relationship because I think I am, I don't know what it's like to have a gay son. I don't know what it's like what that did to my dad, his own like internalized homophobia. And it's been a work. Like it's it, like my dad didn't just from one day to the next was like, okay, I love my gay son. Uh, it really did take a lot from me and my mom and, you know, and just life in general, like to be like, well, I need to understand 
um, I gave some, but I also I need I I needed to do like my internal work with to be okay with me, right? And so yeah, that has taken a lot a lot of work, and I've taken my family on that journey, and I think it's important. We don't want to have those awkward conversations with our families, but we have to because if we don't do it. Who else is going to do it? Are you yeah. going to just say, let them continue put you know, stuff on Facebook? Like, I think it's important to have this course. And so I don't mean that to do it on purpose to like kind of make an example of my family and being out there, but we're really that close. And, and just kind of going back to a lot of the times the this course around immigration and the Dream Mag was very focused on, on the youth and, and, you know, passing DACA and like passing the Dream Mag and poor little immigrants. I wanted to make sure that my family's story was part of that conversation as well. And so, you know, it, I, I try to put it through my R because that's that's part of my story. That's part of who I am. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting, I think, you know, your assessment, obviously, you know the movement so well of kind of the positioning of youth versus everybody else, basically. Um, but your work never fully participated in that. I mean, you, you were always a critic of, of that position. Not necessarily. I think I was also part. I was. I was also part of 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 that narrative. You know. I mean, I go back to some images that I made in 2010, and, and they're still on my Facebook. You can go. A lot of it was like, you know, I'm not a criminal. I'm a good person. I'm a good immigrant. Yeah. I went to school. It was. It was those people. You know, like my my criticism around that is like it was what we knew, but how do we evolve? How do we move forward? Right. And so like around 2012 is when like, I really, you know, th- there's this image that I have, where is it? Well, I, I think it's in, it's in, it's in, in your book, uh, like the one with my family, the uh, responsible and courageous. I was like, having a conversation with my friend, Nancy Mesa, and she's an organizer out of LA. And we were just like, damn, like this narrative, it was like around the time that DACA, uh, you know, had passed, and we were like, our parents didn't qualify for DACA. Damn, like, it's kind of our fault because we've been throwing our parents under the bus. We've been saying this narrative of like, I'm a good immigrant. It was my parents' fault. Like, you know, it's because of them that I'm in this situation. And so the images that I started kind of making, I was like, I need to include my family and because they're not being part of this conversation. And then like, I also started making images about, I remember talking to my friend Yahaira Carrillo, who was part of that first sit-in you know, uh, McCain's offense in 2010. And she was like, you need to be more intentional about around, you know, being queer and, and, and adding queerness and making sure that it's not just like the gay boys, like it's also queer women, you know, at the forefront. And so like, it really, the work that I've been doing, like, it's not like an alone thing, like it's been informed by yeah. the direct conversations that I've had with activists, with my own family, with friends and, and, you know, moving forward. My criticism is, when we are, you know, we're continue, like it's 2021, you know, like yep. this idea that it's just DACA and, and not just, but also like what it has done with DACA too, is like, we still, we're still considered youth, like right. two years from 40 and I'm still youth, which I mean, look at this face. Of I course. don't look, you know, <laughs> but, but you know, it, it really, it really, you know, kind of, I don't know what the, what the academic word, there's a word for it, but like when you kind of like, we're youth forever. Like, you know, but yeah. and, and there's, there's no girl. Like I've, I've been, I, you know, I've been, one of the reasons why I started the fellowship was because I've been in writer's rooms. They're creating a character for TV and the conversation around like immigration and it's very connected to youth, right? Like, oh, uh, DACA and young. And I was like, there's like 
people who are almost in their 40s, right? Like, imagine those stories, the people that didn't get to apply for DACA because they were, like, a couple of, you know, shy away yeah. from, from you know, having that. But so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, there's there's so many more stories than the, you know, poor little immigrant who, you know, couldn't make it to school or, like, the academic, like, they, I, I don't want to invalidate those stories, but I think we're doing a disservice to our communities when we're not expanding those narratives. Because yeah, I say this, why people get to be so complex all the time. Like, why do we only have the good immigrant <laughs> and the bad immigrant? They should they could be part of the conversation, but like there's there's more, right? There, there's more stories. And 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 I think that, you know, that's why it's 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 not about criticizing, you know, it might sound like that sometimes, but it's just about like, no, like let's show this other part. There's also like new people, younger folks who are coming into movements who are barely finding out about like whether, you know, they could, you know, apply for DACA and they identify as dreamers. And, you know, like I don't no longer, you know, I use that term for myself yeah. because like I said, I'm almost 40, but it's for a lot of folks, it's, it's new language, it's things that they're learning. And I think that people should be allowed to call themselves whatever they want to call themselves. And it's just when we're stuck in that same narrative and the media keeps sharing that same uh, narrative, it's what kind of like, you know, bugs me. And and that's why I make stuff. Cause to me, I'm like, okay, if we're going to criticize something, what are we making to counterbalance those criticisms? Because we can sit here on Twitter all day and, you know, and criticize all night, but what are we making? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what your work I think is always done is shifted and grown. And I, I remember, I think it was around 2016, you made this series of posters. It was called something like coming out of all the shadows. Do you remember those? I think so. <laughs> like the, the, they were, so it was, I, I used to teach with them my classes because I, mm-hmm. I loved showing your growth as an artist where you had the very kind of sleek, I am undocu queer posters that made you famous. Uh-huh. And then these were like messy in a different way. They had a lot of prose and, they weren't just white t-shirts, you know, it's people like sitting at a protest with their arms locked and say, fuck ice. And um, yes, 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 yes. I remember which ones you're talking about. You know, those were very much inspired by, you know, like my own, you know, like kind of like the music that I kind of grew up listening to and like, you know, like going back to those, you know, like I'm talking about like, you know, Bikini Kill and <laughs> MIA and Rage Against the Machine, like, you know, like those anthems of like, Fuck, you know, like there's, and the reason why I, I wanted to kind of like be messy around those and, and just be in your face about it. And, and yes, you, you're kind of mentioning like my growth of like going from like undocumented and afraid, which is great to like this idea that like, damn, I'm tired of like trying to convince people that I'm good and I'm an immigrant because that is, it, it, it gets exhausting. And so I'm like, the reality is that not everybody's perfect and fuck this shit and fuck all that stuff. Right. But there's so much that you can, you know, in conversations, so I am very lucky that I get to make this, you know, like me- put these messages out there through through art and and and. But they're heavily like I'm not by any means like making anything new. Like if anything, I'm sort of, you know, going back to the to the to the music that inspired me and made me think about a lot of these things. Like a lot of the images that I made in 2010 were super inspired by MIA's, you know, album Kala. You know, like it was it was like where you know the the song paper planes mm-hmm. you know like it's about immigrants and it's about you know like this idea that we want to take your jobs and and you know like a lot of that music 
really, you know, like it, you know, has, you know, has gone into, into my art and, and, you know, like that's, that's, you know, what another thing that I, I always mention is that I, I, I growing up in the nineties and there was a sort of like, and please stop me if I'm going on tangents, but like, you no, know, go. like I, I don't get to talk a lot about my, kind of like my inspirations, but like, you know, in the nineties, we saw this sort of like white women just like being like being allowed to, you know, be like you had the corny loves, you had Shirley Manson, you had yeah. Gwen Stefani, you know, like so who I get, you know, you've seen my art, like I'm a huge fan, but sort of like them just being allowed to be vulnerable and like just, you know, really say what's on their mind. Um, you know, Fiona Apple is like a huge, you know, influence. So my friends make yeah. fun of me. They're like, you have like such a white girl taste. But, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm very specific, very specific to like a certain like, you know, white woman that really, um, you know, it really, you know, uh, made a, a change in the way that like Corny Love was talking about Me Too stuff and the way that that the industry yeah. would treat women, you know, back in the early 90s. And people were just kind of like, yeah, whatever, you know, but the way that she did it in in, in, yeah. a, in a very, you know, like with really good music and 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 there was a talent there, I, I I get a lot of that that stuff. And so in my own way, I'm trying to push for that, you know, through, you know, in any medium, you know, whether it be TV writing, whether it be the arts, there's not one way of being an immigrant, you know? And so I think the American, I think uh, the uh, Undocumented Americans, you know, Carla, um, Carla's book just, blew my mind because it did just that, you know, like it showed other, other ways of that other experiences beyond the the dreamer experience. And I'm like, yes, more of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we just have a couple minutes left, but I, I want to ask you then about your own work and maybe what you're working on right now, where you're heading and, you know, um, what continues to be the importance of art to migrant justice? Oh my God. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's so many projects that I have like on the works and, you know, she's, she's producing short documentaries now. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm producing, yes, I'm producing this, this, uh, this short documentary with, uh, I can't, I don't think I can, I mean, yeah, I can share it. I can say it. It's, it's, it's going to be coming out in June, but uh, I'm like, there's no, there's nothing. I didn't sign anything, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, on a short documentary uh, with KCET, which is kind of like the PBS in Southern California about Cumbiaton. And, and the, you know, they really like what we did with My Name is Julio, my short documentary. And I'm, I really like the way that, you know, they were like, you tell your own story you know, and, and so we're, we're working, I'm, you know, working with the team on that and, and producing and telling our own story about what Cumbiaton means. Because again, right, like Cumbiaton is not just a party. It's like, it was, it was a result of a last administration wanting us to be sad and scared all the time. And we responded with a, well, we're going to throw a party and celebrate ourselves and not be scared and have our community behind us. And so like that story, I think it's important to tell, you know, from our own perspective. And so I'm working on that and, and, you know, like producing documentaries, like it's, it's, it's fun when you have a budget <laughs> and you, you, you're able right. to do things like that. I, I, I'm very, I'm very lucky to like be getting these opportunities. And then another big project that I've been sort of, uh, you know, thinking about, you know, for the past couple of years is the I think a lot of uh, where we are right now as undocumented and queer immigrants, 
And I think a lot about my tío Chicho, my uncle, who was living as undocumented and queer in the late 80s and early 90s here in L.A. And and just his story, my he passed away in 2018. And I've always, even before he passed away, I always wanted to go because he self-deported back to Mexico. He was like, I'm tired of this shit. I'm going to, you know, go back to Mexico. And, you know, the last couple of years before his death, like very rarely did I communicate with him. I never really came out to to him. And so uh, when he passed away, Mm. I was like, damn, like this conversation that I never got to have with him. And my one of my one of his sisters, my tia, my tia Maggie, sent me a bunch of photographs of of my uncle when he was living here in the U.S. And so I have this idea in my head of like, is it going to be like illustrations? Is is it going to be like a short film? Is it going to be like what? So I'm working on on, on that. And and I'm being very open on on my Instagram. I've been sharing like images that I do about my Tio Chicho, you know, photographs of him and 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 I go back to this idea that he he lived through being undocumented. He lived through the AIDS crisis and the joy and the happiness that I see in these photos. That a lot of the times, like that's all that it was left. But some of his friends are still alive, and so I want to talk to them and and just just tell me more about my Tio Chicho, which I didn't get to do when he was alive, and I hate it. I hated the fact because like to me it was like once I get papers, I'm gonna go talk to him. Once I get papers, I'm, we're gonna have this like conversation about yeah i don't you know like in my head like about like theo i never told you about me like tell me what it was like when it was you know when it was you know when you were my age what was it like in la uh how did you deal with all this stuff and so i never got to have that and so i'm i'm you know i'm 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 kind of gonna piece what that conversation will look like i don't know you know when that would come out but I'm, I'm, I, it's been a working progress and again yeah. bringing my family whenever i talk about family I cannot not talk about my Tio Chicho because when we moved to the U.S. in 1995, you know, he lived in like a single in, you know, East Hollywood. And, and, you know, he was like, come and live with the, you know, come and live with me. You know, my mom, my sister and me, we lived with him for like a couple of weeks before we found a place here in Long Beach. And so that's my family, you know, like we're like that. That's families, that's immigrants, you know, we're we're all in. So, you know, the fact that he didn't get to tell his story, I want to figure out how to do it as a family project, because this is a family project. My tia is like helping me put this together. So that's that's kind of something that I'm working on. Well, and you were, if I'm not mistaken, this is also about your tio, the, the, the butterfly wings that you've been working with. Yes. Yeah. So my, yeah. Well, so I'm, it, they're actually uh, angel wings. Angel like wings. I'm doing, I'm doing like different versions of angel wings because he was obsessed with angels. He was like, whenever, like in every single apartment that he had from Echo Park to like East Hollywood to like all these different places, he collected angels. And there is that connection about, you know, I was having, uh, I was talking to Joey Terrell. He's uh, uh, an artist. Uh, He did the Maricon uh, images from the, you know, late 70s. And he was, he's like around my tío's uh, age, a little bit older. And, you know, like the symbolism around angels, you know, during the, you know, the AIDS pandemic and um, and just what what it meant. Right. And like I'm doing kind of research on why he was so obsessed with all these angels. And you can see some of the photos. I'm like, want to pull out some of the photos that like this is like all the photos that my tia sent me. And they're here with me. And I've been having all these dreams about him because I don't know if it's because I've been looking at these photos where like we talk. And I'm like, and every time I have those dreams, like I write them down and I'm like, you know, we're having conversations and he's in my mind. And so I, I, 
Yeah, it's 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 uh it's it's one of those things that again I I for for me when I'm I'm creating something like that because I want it to be like something amazing as you know uh, yeah. uh and I I'm usually really fast at putting stuff out but this is like something that I'm like doing with the with like sharing with with everybody that you know that follows me on Instagram and just conversations with with families yeah which as artists and and again right like as artists where you're so used to like doing stuff alone but I'm like no like you know we. More, more, more collaborations. It's how you know we really do something that that touches different people, and like it's it's so much more informed, you know, especially something like this that I didn't live through. It has to be better informed when when you're touching on this subject. Well, I mean, I love hearing about that. I just see, I mean, I've loved watching your growth as an artist over the last 10 years. And you know, I'm a huge fangirl of yours. Thank you. And so I can't wait to see what you keep doing. And I love keeping in touch with you. And I guess that's going to wrap us up. What are you? For the book of your uh, the, that I did for your cover, the wings were part of like, you know, my testing out different styles of wings. So you're part of yeah. this, girl. You're part of this thing that I'm doing, which I don't know, but it involves angel wings. <laughs> I love it. And I love being a part of anything with you. And I'm so glad you decided to have this conversation with me today. Again, our guest today has been the fabulous Julio Salgado. You can find his art at juliosalgadoart.com. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. Thank you, Karma. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you talking to me today. Absolutely. And thank you to all of you for listening to this episode of Audio QT.